It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The result of the week's battles, taken as a whole, were very gratifying. For Lee, in one week, had raised the siege of Richmond. The whole Confederate loss was some 9,500 men. That of the Union Army, 6,500, besides 2,500 prisoners, 22 cannon, and a vast quantity of small arms. After this synopsis of military events, the thread of the narrative is resumed just where the brigade on the morning of the 29th had taken up the line of march. After a short halt, the column was put in motion following hard on the heels of the foe. Then the brigade bore to the right and crossed the Chickahominy by the pontoons known as New Bridge, which the enemy had built and only half burned. It was the first thing of the kind our troops had ever seen, and it excited our admiration by the simple yet effectual manner in which a deep, sluggish stream and an apparently impassable morass could be crossed by long lines of soldiery cross without even so much as the wetting of a shoe. We had here before our eyes another proof of a hurried retreat, in the shape of a long brass forty-eight-pounder, half submerged in the slime of the swamp, which had slipped from the bridge and been there abandoned. Lie there, old broadside, we thought, better there than shuffling off our mortal coils. Would that the rest of your Yankee fraternity were sleeping peacefully by your side. After we had crossed the pontoons, reached the highlands, and defiled into a meadow beyond, a sight met our eyes that caused the boldest to shrink back. About half a mile away was a perfectly constructed chain of breastworks, redoubts, and rifle pits, and in the embrasure of the former we could see the dull muzzles of the cannon pointing in our direction, while from the latter the bristling bayonets gave proof that the fortifications were filled with men. The brigade was formed in line of battle in the center of the meadow, and then came a halt while several officers rode away to reconnoiter. The men's faces were decidedly blank, and some hundred testaments and Bibles were openly taken from pockets and conned with the same zeal that a schoolboy crams for the holiday commencement. "'They are not going to make us charge those works,' remarked one of the men. "'We will be wiped out clean,' responded another. "'Not a man left alive,' ejaculated a third, sadly shaking his head in all the solemnity of prophecy." I am going to take a last chew of tobacco, said A.D. Saunders of Company A, close by, a long slab-sided fellow, made so by attack of camp fever. Pass that plug around, then, answered Connie Johnson. You'll have no more need of it. No, I'll be damned if I do, A.D. replied, returning the plug to his pocket decidedly. I might get wounded. I might be taken prisoner. I might—anyway, it is a handy thing to have around. "'You need not be afraid,' remarked Mark Price, another of the crowd, a short, broad, thick-set boy. 
You just turn yourself sideways, and no Yankee can see you to take aim at you. The only danger is that the wind of a cannonball might blow you away. You're about as fat as a match, anyhow. As for me, he continued, they might as well try to miss a barn as not hit me. Boys, said Walter Addison, of the same rank and file, in most solemn accents, I am not going to set the example, but the first man I see running, I hope I may die if I don't follow him. Well, soliloquized John Zimmerman, of a philosophical turn, a man can't die but once, and we are all bound to get killed before this war's ended, so what's the odds? Just then I saw a fine rifle, of the latest pattern, lying near, so I slipped out of the ranks to exchange it for an old Springfield musket, and it so happened that precisely at that moment our colonel came riding by. Seeing a man out of his place, his wrath knew no bounds, and he shouted out in such stentorian tones that the whole regiment heard him. Fire and brimstone! What are you doing out of ranks? Fall in there instantly, do you hear? And Alex Hunter, if I catch you at it again, I will send you straight back home. I hope you will, Colonel, I responded. I hope you will, for though I never want to be drummed out of the army, there's no place like home now, I'm thinking. A roar of laughter followed this remark, for there was not a man present who did not feel at this hour that home had never before held such charms, such allurements. Soon the officers returned and reported that they were our men and not Yankees who were garrisoning the works. A smile illuminated each face that broadened into a full broadside of a grin. The playing cards so repentantly thrown aside were carefully and painstakingly gathered up. Bibles sought their wanted retreats, and a most genial feeling of relief was felt. As we approached the works abandoned by the foe, now manned by our own men, cheers greeted us instead of shot and shell. We kept up a steady tramp, and as the day advanced the rays of the sun became more and more ardent, while the marching was beginning to tell upon the men. No halt at all was allowed, not even to give us time to eat or drink. Toward the afternoon the gate became almost a run, and with scattered ranks we went at a sling trot, almost blinded with the dust, which lay nearly ten inches deep, and had been so trodden and ground down by the wheels of the artillery and the feet of thousands that it was ready now to fly out at the slightest breath of air. Like the patient worm, it turned under the foot that crushed it, rose aloft in wrath, filled our eyes, noses, and mouths with an impalpable powder, and whitened our clothes as much as the meal dust does the miller's. It was simply impossible to keep in close ranks. That would have resulted in nothing short of suffocation. Every now and then the men spread out like an open fan into a field to get fresh, unburdened air. To add to our troubles, we were tortured with thirst. Water was very scarce, not a full canteen in the whole brigade, and when we passed a house that had a well, hundreds of soldiers would rush toward it, and such a scene would then ensue as made the good people of the domicile hold up their hands in holy horror. A frenzied crowd, struggling, pushing, fighting, cursing, trying in mad efforts to reach the brink, and when the bucket was drawn up, fifty hands holding fifty tin cups extended, and in their eagerness spilling half the precious water. Fortunately, we passed a running stream, and in a moment a line extended for half a mile up and down its banks, many throwing themselves down at full length, and, like animals, lapping the grateful cooling liquid. But not one soldier in a dozen got a mouthful. I know I did not, and I almost went mad. I thought with Sheridan, all that I have, all that I am, all that I hope for, my property here, my interest in heaven, all would I give for a full drink of water. 
What queer, yet most painful, tantalizing pictures flit through the brain of a man who hungers or is athirst. I thought of the enticing pictures of the gardens of the faithful, as told in the Koran, and of the fountains running with frozen sherbet. I recalled that exquisite ode from Horace, wherein Naira, with ruddy glowing arm, holds out the earthen cup of freezing snowy goat milk, while on the other hand Lydia extends with a Caesarean smile a silver flagon filled to the brim with old Valerian wine chilled with snow. All that afternoon our speed was not relaxed, and we kept on at the same rate, the officers urging the men forward. It proved too great a task for many. The clouds of dust, the difficulty of walking, the impeded breath, the exquisite heat began to tell many completely exhausted began to fall out of ranks the thermometer was over ninety in the shade satan only knows what it was in the open air some staggered and fell with sunstroke and were laid out on the roadside and left with the doctors about four o'clock scores of men lined the highway while some had even fallen dead later on in the evening there were hundreds reclining under the shadow of friendly trees utterly prostrated and unable to move a foot farther it was not that the men were shirking or straggling, there was very little of that, but they had simply given out, and nature had rebelled against the inexorable task. The sun set, blazing defiance as it did so, and the sultriness did not seem to decrease. Darkness came on, but still the cry was, Forward! The men who had not so far succumbed, with jackets off, wet with perspiration, their waists girded tightly, did their best, and dog-trotted at the rate of six miles an hour. They had reached a state of sulkiness, and each man determined to keep up if it should kill him. But nearly a third fell from exhaustion, and the rest of the soldiers staggered down the road like drunken men, before the order to halt was heard. But at last, about eleven o'clock that night, the welcome cry was given. Foot-sore and with chafed limbs, the soldiers, too tired to eat, fell in their tracks, lying on both sides of the road for a mile or more, motionless as if they had been slain in battle. No sound came from the inert mass except the panting, like hounds broken down, with the scent cold and the quarry lost. We were up at the earliest dawn, and after eating our crackers and a slice of raw meat, prepared to move. It was a lovely morning, the 30th of June, 1862, and a day to be remembered by all. We kept our onward march very leisurely now, frequently halting. The scene was enlivening. Long columns of infantry, in the vicinity of Fraser's farm, could be seen wending their way to take up their positions. Batteries of artillery went by at a gallop, the horses white with foam. Stragglers were beginning to drop into line, and the ranks were pretty full. This was optional with them, for then we had no provost guard to hurry the men up from the rear. The troops were in good spirits." It is astonishing what magic power for recuperation there is in a good sleep and a humble breakfast. No one would have recognized these serried, solid lines of infantry as the same hurrying, jaded-looking stream of men that seemed last night more like fugitives than anything else. On the road which we were so leisurely pursuing were many cherry and mulberry trees in full bearing. Against the most stringent orders, the soldiers would break ranks and fill the branches with a struggling, clamorous crowd, cramming the fruit by the handfuls into their mouths, breaking the boughs and pitching them.